0: Is it okay for a Christian to make plans and then, even after making plans, to then pursue those personal intentions or ideas that they have? Is that maybe spiritual or could potentially that be unspiritual to make a plan and actually pursue that specific plan. Well, you can tell by reading these verses here that Paul the apostle is now describing here in these verses his personal plans and his ministry intentions, what he intended to do. He talks about where he intended to go, even how he intended to go about such and when he intended to go about such and clearly we can see that his plans included a time of visitation to the church in Rome, which he had not yet been there to visit. You notice in our reading that he repeatedly mentions, you find the phrase again and again, when I come to you, when I come to you, when I come to you. So Paul's clearly indicating that his intention and plan was to come to Rome and to visit the church there. Yet he also asks, notice in verse 30 through verse 32, he also asks for prayer. He says, verse 32, that I may, may come to you he says there by the will of god so paul asked for prayer in relation to those plans because paul had plans and ideas but he also knew that the will of god was what mattered most And that the will of God mattered much more and that God's will could overrule in circumstances and in his plans if he remained yielded and flexible to the spirit's leading. In our passage this morning, I think we can learn things as we look at this, like for example, how to pursue plans and intentions that we may have, but yet at the same time, how to remain yielded to the spirit of God and letting the will of God maybe overrule in certain situations. We can observe some ways how the will of God can be discovered in our own lives and how the will of God sometimes unfolds in our lives as we walk out our different experiences. And I think another thing that's evident is this, is that we can see from this passage, and we'll talk about how human plans and God's will can honestly coexist and function in cooperation at times. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. Those two things can work together. The background of where Paul is coming to in his statements this morning, we just saw last week in our prior verses that he was sharing with the Christians in Rome what he had been very actively and busily doing in recent years regarding his missionary activities And the things that he was predominantly doing, which was trying to evangelize the Gentile nations. Look with me back up again in verse nineteen, where Paul was talking about that. He said there, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Illyricum, about a fourteen hundred mile a circular territory, I have fully preached, he says, the gospel of Christ, and I've made it my aim, he says, to try and preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as is written to to whom he was not announced they shall see and those who have not heard they shall understand so paul was talking about this extensive ministry that he had been engaged in in prior years and how his missionary activity had him covering a some 1400 mile territory and that this had kept him evangelizing church planning pastoring those churches for a season before he would move on and plant a new church that this had kept him pretty occupied and that he had been very busily engaged in the lord's work now it's with that in mind that he then continues in his statements verse 22 to say look what it with me for this reason i also he says have been much hindered from coming to you But now, no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and then to be helped by you on my way there by you, if first, he says, I might enjoy your company for a while. So here in these verses, Paul indicates, again, that he's not been to Rome yet, He shares his intentions that he in the very near future was planning on coming to see them and he explains his reasoning behind such. The first thing that's very evident in those verses there is Paul indicates as he did back in the first chapter that it has always been his heart's desire to come to that church in Rome to meet those believers there to minister among them because he had never met them before. He says here, I've always desired. He mentions for many years. He says, for years, I've desired to come there and to be with you. And he says, in fact, I want you to know at the close of this letter that my intention at this juncture in my life is that in the very near future, as I endeavor to get all the way to Spain, that it's going to work out perfectly now, circumstantially, that on the way I can stop by, he says there, and enjoy your company for for a while before i then head over to spain but notice he indicates the only reason and this is what he wants them to understand that he's not been to rome yet he says there for us in verse 22 look at it is that up to this point he's not come sooner because he has been hindered up to this point he says in verse 22 there for this reason I have been much hindered from coming to you. Now, that word hinder there that Paul uses in the original language, it's a term that describes a purposely created roadblock where in that day, maybe if you knew an enemy was invading and coming your direction, you would purposely break up the road or dig ditches and, and create, in essence, an obstacle purposely to try and slow down someone in their progress or to completely impede the pathway so they couldn't get through and it refers to putting something in one's pathway to hinder or slow down or stop someone from moving forward in a direction hindered paul says i've been hindered i've been roadblocked now let me say this sometimes hindrances can be of the devil sometimes satan himself in spiritual life and in ministry can cause hindrances and roadblocks Paul says this, writing to the Thessalonian believers, 1 Thessalonians two seventeen and 18, listen to what he says, but we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see you with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. So Paul alludes there to the fact that though he wanted to come to Thessalonica and to go back and visit them, that the thing that was hindering him, Paul knew clearly, he says it was satanic opposition. It's the devil who's trying to create a roadblock so that we can't get to you and connect with you and minister to you. And, and he realized that sometimes hindrances are clearly, they're, they're diabolical, they're of the devil. And that's true sometimes. Satan will cause roadblocks and hindrances in spiritual life and spiritual relationships. But also we need to realize that hindrances in life can also be a part of the plan and purpose of God as well. That sometimes it's not the devil at the root of a hindrance. Sometimes God will direct in ways to hold things up. In situations or in circumstances of our life, God may even hold us back for a time or keep us from something altogether. Take note in our verses this morning, that seems to be more the case. Paul mentions that there was a reason that he had been hindered from coming to the church in Rome up to this point. He says right there in verse 22, the scripture declares it for this reason. I've been much hindered. Paul says, there's a reason. There is a reason I've been hindered from coming to you. When when he says, for this reason, I put an arrow in my Bible pointing upwards, indicating that Paul's saying the reason is because what I just told you in verses 19, 20, and 21, because I have been so busily preoccupied with my present ministry endeavors, that's the reason that I've been hindered from being able to come and to interact and to visit with you. In other words, Paul's referring to the fact that he had been so busy and preoccupied in just his current ministry service, pioneering new churches and sharing the gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum, he says, that that current ministry and those commitments responsibilities he's saying that's what has prohibited me thus far and held me back from being able to move on to start something new i just couldn't get freed up and therefore i couldn't come and make this visitation with you as a new thing or next step in my ministry and from this i learned two things first of all i realized this that paul did not want to move on to something new until he had finished his current work where he was Paul did not want to move on to something new until he had finished the current thing he was involved in. Oftentimes, listen, it's good to stay where you're at in life and to faithfully fulfill and finish your current thing you're involved in before you go moving on to something new. The Bible exhorts us to being faithful. The Bible encourages us to fulfill the things that we begin. And I would say this this morning, what are you doing currently? what does the Lord have you doing currently? What does he have you engaged in, involved in? And I would say this is, is the Lord finished with you where you're at right now? Is he finished with you where you're at right now for the season you're in, for the reason you're in it? And do you have a sense of release? Do you have a sense of release from the Lord? If you do, great. But if you don't have a sense of release from the Lord, then perhaps, and if you don't have a confidence that you fulfilled what you're supposed to, maybe that's because the Lord wants you to stay where you're at before you transition onto something new or before you endeavor to begin a new thing. Hey, look, it's good to be faithful. It's good to fulfill the things that God assigns for us and calls us to do, whether it's where we're at vocationally or something we've committed to or or whatever. It is good to fulfill the time and the place and purpose for the season where God has us now before we go quickly moving on to some new thing in our life. Colossians 4.17, Paul said this to a man in that church named Archippus, Colossians 4.17, Paul said, And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you've received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Again, he was saying, look, tell Chip there that God's given him something to do and he's gotten distracted. He's thinking about the new thing that he wants to do or he's thinking about the next season and he's saying, tell him before he starts thinking about what's down the road or goes off and tries to start a new thing because of whatever reason where he's at, tell him, finish what you started first. If you've not been released from what you're engaged in, he's saying, look, you finish the season where you're at. Finish it, complete it until you sense a release to then move on to something new. Paul demonstrates that. Paul also understood, I can tell from these verses, that God sometimes, not just Satan, that God sometimes can cause hindrances even in the midst of walking in the will of God. And that's one way of discerning his leading. Listen to what Paul says in Acts 16, or excuse me, not what Paul says, but what Luke writes in relation to Paul the Apostle's ministry. We read this, Acts 16. It says, now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were, listen to what this says, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they had come to Mysia, they then tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came to Troas and then a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after they had seen the vision, they immediately sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. I've always loved Acts chapter 16 because we think, hey, it's God's will to preach the gospel, right? Right. Why would the Holy Spirit ever stop somebody from preaching the gospel? The Bible commands us to preach, but the Bible actually records that the Holy Spirit forbade and somehow stopped Paul the Apostle from going into an area to preach the gospel. And and Paul said, okay, well, I guess the door seems to be closed in that direction. So maybe we're supposed to go to Bithynia. And he tried to go a different direction. And again, the Spirit would not permit him to move in that direction. Closed door again. And it was after closed door and closed door that as Paul then was sitting and saying, well, it's not east, it's not west, that then the Lord spoke to him and and, and said to him, Paul, come over to Macedonia. I closed that door and I closed that door because this is the direction I want you to go in. And see, sometimes the spirit of God may run hindrances and interferences in our lives, even as we're walking in the will of God to preoccupy us for a time or even maybe hold us back in some way in our lives so that we ultimately can walk forward in what the plan and purpose of God is for our life. Hey, this morning, perhaps that is why, perhaps that's why in your life up to this point, you have been held up from some pursuit or some desire that's in your heart or something that ultimately you want to accomplish or fulfill. Maybe that's the reason. Maybe it's some pathway you want to take. Maybe it's some relationship you want to take. Look, maybe the Lord's running interference and hindering you from a relationship because of the right relationship He has for you down the road. Perhaps for some reason this morning you're currently facing a roadblock in relation to something in your life and you're wondering why? Why the hindrance? Why the why the roadblock? I don't get it. It may be that the providence of our God who sees what's on the horizon down the road is working in such a way by his wisdom and love to actually hold you back to keep you in the best place possible and maybe the safest place possible because he knows what's ahead and around the corner. And sometimes the Lord will work in this way. Paul indicates here in our text the reason now for these Roman believers that he plans to currently endeavor to go to Rome and to visit there. And notice a couple factors here, particularly in verses 20 through 24, of why Paul says, but now I know th- th- that I sense that the Lord is leading. And this is why now, though I've been hindered, why I plan now to begin to move in that direction. And I think three things particularly we can observe in our verses. First of all, there was the ending of a season and a closing of a door where Paul was. Look what he says in verse 23. But now, no longer having a place in these parts, he says, and having a great desire to come to you, I'm going to come. But particularly that first phrase. But now, no longer having a place in these parts. It seems Paul could sense circumstantially and maybe even his own heart, that where he had been and what he had been doing, that it seemed like that season was kind of coming to a close. Paul says no longer having a place in these parts. It's likely what he's referring to is that he had so faithfully saturated the region that he had been ministering in, planting churches and sharing the gospel, that literally he had so effectively saturated that area with the gospel and church plants that he kind of was starting to run out of new areas to pioneer new churches so paul says no longer having a place in this these parts it seems ministry opportunities are running out Doors of effective ministry are starting to close and the place where he was and he had been being used very mightily by god paul realized it doesn't seem like they need me as much anymore for a time, I could see how the Lord was using me, and, but, but it seems now that in that same situation, they don't quite need me the way that they once did. And I think Paul realized he sensed God was starting to release him from what he had been doing, and he, God was sort of loosening the roots, if you would, so that he could then transplant him on to the next thing. And Paul's recognizing this. It seems a season's closing. It seems a door is beginning to come to a close. Secondly, notice also this. Paul also not only sensed a closing of a door or ending of a season, but he also had a strong and remaining desire within him to do something. You see what he says there as well in verse 23? No longer having a place here and also having a great desire these many years to come to you. For many years, Paul possessed a continuous interest in going to Rome and ministering to the people there. For many years, that had never left him. This strong desire, it never went away. It just dwelt there. It kept resurfacing again and again, here comes that desire again, here comes that thought again, here comes that interest again. And, and no matter what happened over the years, it was an abiding, lasting, enduring desire to do something that was resonating in his heart. It wasn't just a passing interest that came and it was kind of something he was interested in for a while, but then kind of faded away. And sometimes that's what desires do. They come and we're all excited about something. But then if we just kind of let it sit, sometimes desires then kind of move on and realize maybe that wasn't God's desire. Maybe that was my idea or a desire somebody else implanted in me. Paul said, for years, I've had this lasting abiding desire within me. And thirdly, we notice as well that circumstances were lining up to pursue what was on his heart. Look what he says there in the 24th verse. He says, now, therefore, whenever I journey over to Spain when he says i shall come to you and i hope to see you on that journey and then to be helped by there by, by you if first i can stop he says and enjoy your company for a while so spain was the far western edge of the roman empire and paul says this is perfect it's lining up now i know god's calling me to go to spain i sense it in my heart and spain was an area of great commerce It was a dense population. It was a city of many opportunities or a location of many opportunities. And Paul saw areas like that as strategic hubs for church planning, because Paul realized if I can get a hub for the gospel there, I can impact all the areas around it. Now, there is no biblical record that Paul ever made it to Spain. Tradition and history says that he did. But Paul was seeing how circumstantially that Spain and heading towards Spain would line up perfectly circumstantially to stop at Rome along the way and to be helped by that church in Rome to make his journey the rest of the way there. So this approach made practical sense now and it seemed to line up circumstantially. And Paul saw that as a part of the leading of God in his life. And can I say this this morning? I think those same three things that we just mentioned regarding Paul's life can sometimes be, sometimes, contributing factors for how we discover and work through and pursue God's leading for us. Let me reiterate what they are. Sometimes the way we can discover and pursue God's leading for us sometimes is in those same three ways. Maybe the ending of a season and a sense that a door is closing where we're currently at or where we've been. And there's just a just the sense that the Lord seems to be releasing me. I'm not as needed in this situation. I sense I fulfilled what I was here to do for the time that I was. And often the Lord will begin to release us before he then transfers us in a new direction. Secondly, many a times when God's leading, there's a strong remaining desire about something. That's just a lasting, enduring desire and you've had time to pray it through and to say, Lord, if this isn't from you, take it away from me. Lord, if this isn't your idea, take the idea away and and, and to wait on it and to see if that desire has really remained and it just doesn't go away. And thirdly, sometimes when the Lord is leading, we'll see that those desires we have start lining up also with circumstances and circumstances begin to come together to pursue what's on our heart. Maybe an opportunity presents itself in a practical, natural way without forcing it to fulfill the thing that's on our heart. Oftentimes, those are great indicators how God leads in our lives as well. Look how Paul goes on, verse 25. He then says, but now, at this point, however, he says, I'm going over to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and a kai to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in jerusalem it pleased them he says verse 27 and they are debtors for if the gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things their duty also is to then minister to them in material things so paul informs the church at rome yes i want to come see you enjoy your company on the way to Spain, minister to you while I'm there. But he informs them, look, I want to be honest. Before I endeavor to come to you, he tells them here in these verses, I first have something I must attend to, he says, over in Jerusalem. He says there in verse 25, right now, I want you to be aware before I come to you, he says, right now, I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, to go and help the believers of that initial sort of mother church, if you would, from the pouring out of the spirit at Pentecost, they're the church in Jerusalem. He explains what that ministry involved, and we can tell by what he describes in verse 26, that it involved going there to deliver a financial contribution to help the poor saints there in Jerusalem. Now the book of Acts records the backdrop of what Paul's describing here. Again, very quickly, Acts chapter 2, we see the birth of the church where the Holy Spirit is poured out and thousands of people get saved rather quickly in the early church. And many of those people were from outside the area of Jerusalem. And a lot of them, just like us, when the power of God's spirit came down and people were getting saved and God was working in a mighty fresh new way. They were drawn to want to stay and be a part of that. So a lot of them wanted to stay and remain in Jerusalem. And so they never went back home to their territories. They're like, hey, this is a new life. God's working. I want to be a part of this. And so they planted themselves there in Jerusalem. And as a result of that, Acts 4 seems to describe sort of a Christian commune was developed where everybody was just sharing their stuff because all these new people were living in Jerusalem. And this Christian commune developed and people were sharing and helping one another. But eventually the Christian commune idea, it didn't work out. Money started running out. And after time, as a result of that, Too many people, not enough resources. People were struggling. They were falling into poverty. Then add on to that, Acts 8 says that a great persecution arose against Christians in that area. And then to top it off, Acts chapter 11 says, then a severe famine struck in that area. And all those things then contributed to many of the saints and Christians in Jerusalem falling into a real crisis financially. Some people began to dip into poverty. That's why we read Paul describing here, verse 26, the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. Now, here's what happened. Word of the poor saints who were struggling there in Jerusalem made its way over to the Gentile congregations. And can I remind you, many of these poor saints in Jerusalem were Jewish converts, word now begins to get out as it always does through churches right we're good for that that's a little joke but you know word begins to move through the Gentile congregations that Paul had been planting in Macedonia and in Achaia which were areas of Asia Minor and Europe and the hearts of these Gentile Christians where Paul had been working were stirred with concern oh my goodness, that's horrible. And they got word of these brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem, some in poverty and great need and their hearts were moved to do something. And since many of the Gentile believers in the areas where they lived were quite a bit more affluent and had greater means financially, they wanted to help those struggling brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem, the poor among the saints in Jerusalem with a financial contribution to help with some of their needs. You can read more about that in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and 1 Corinthians 16. But Paul and his missions team seemed were the ambassadors who were going to bring this financial contribution from the Gentile Christians in the other regions over to Jerusalem to help their Jewish brothers and sisters. And Paul explains here in our 27th verse that there's even a very healthy basis for that donation being given and brought. You see what he does? He indicates this was a really appropriate gift. This was a very acceptable idea because he says the Gentile Christians have a spiritual debt. They're indebted to their Jewish brothers and sisters. He says the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things. Therefore, he says, it's their duty as debtors to minister in practical, material things to their Jewish brothers and sisters. And I want you to think about what Paul's describing. Consider this. The Gentile Christians had been enriched spiritually because of the Jewish people. It's the Jewish people who gave and supplied Gentile nations, you and I included as non-Jews, with the Holy Scriptures. The very reason you're hearing from God when you read this book and God speaks to you and talks to you is because God, through the Jewish people, gave the Holy Scriptures who preserved and kept and recorded it and handed it over to all of us as Gentiles. All of the prophets of God from the Old Testament, so many of them, speaking of Messiah, they were Jewish prophets of God. And not to mention, if anything else is not worth it, it was the Jewish race who delivered to us our Messiah. Our Savior Jesus is Jewish. In fact, Jesus himself in John 4 said the words, salvation is of the Jews. It originated from the Jewish people as Christ came as a Jew, but yet as our Savior. So since the Jews had been so enriched, or excuse me, since the Gentiles had been so enriched spiritually by the Jews, Paul says this makes total sense that is there in financial crisis and have a material need Since the Jews have contributed so much ministering to them spiritually, he says, it is only right. It's a duty. It's an obligation. They collect and send this gift since they're able to to help to minister to them in spiritual things, or excuse me, in material things as a return of their indebtedness. And can I just say this this morning for all of us as Christians, that concept should not depart currently among the church. As Christians, I believe today we should all feel a sense of indebtedness to God's chosen people, the Jews. We should all have a sense of indebtedness that wants to love and support Jewish people to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, to pray for the Jews, to stand with the Jewish people and even when possible to help them financially to bless them in Jesus' name. That is what our hearts should be. That's one of the reasons why when we established our church missionary budget here and who we were going to support and how we were going to partner with. I pray about all the other missions and you know, we, we pray through that as a board. I don't even pray about whether I'm going to send money to Israel because it's, to me it's, it's top on the list. Genesis 12 says I'll bless those who bless you. I'm not real smart but that doesn't take a genius to figure out. I want to be blessed God. You say you'll bless those who bless Israel. I got the picture there. We're sending money to Israel. And and as God's people, we should have an indebtedness and an appreciation because of what the Jewish people have contributed and conveyed to us, giving us so much of our spiritual heritage and what we enjoy. And Paul saw this opportunity to deliver that financial gift to Jerusalem. He saw it, I think, as a far-reaching impact. Certainly, listen, certainly would the money help in a practical way? Of course. And as believers, when we see someone struggling, if we can meet a need practically, we should. So just Christian to Christian, that was a wonderful thing. But I think Paul realized how much more that contribution from Gentile Christians to Jewish Christians would help bring healing and unity between the Jews and the Gentiles. And there had always been through history a tremendous amount of animosity between Jews and Gentiles. And that animosity even trickled into the early church. Whereas they were now coexisting as one in Christ, Jews and Gentiles, there was still a rub and a struggle of learning how to embrace each other. And can you imagine Paul the Apostle showing up with his missions team there in Jerusalem with this financial contribution, all this generosity and money and saying this is because your Gentile brothers and sisters heard that there are a lot of poor struggling Christians here in Jerusalem and they wanted to do something to show their love and to help. And can you imagine how moved the Jewish people would be by that demonstration of love and support? And can I say this this morning by way of application? Sometimes a personal demonstration of love or support, even the smallest sacrifice that we make, sometimes just a little personal demonstration of love and support can really have a lot farther reaching impact than we could ever imagine and sometimes we think oh well, what's the big deal listen you have no idea i guarantee you that gift that got sent to jerusalem the impact of that to bring healing among the jews and the gentiles was huge it was huge And sometimes a small endeavor to show our love and show our support can have a very healing impact and very helpful effect. And Paul refers here to this situation and need. Notice he calls it twice, ministering to them in material things and ministering to the saints. And just, again, shows me how Paul saw this need, but he refers to it as ministry. He was meeting a practical need as he delivered this financial gift. But I look at this and I think sometimes, just like Paul the Apostle, the way God may show you or show me where we're to minister or how we're to serve may be as simple as you hear about a need and you realize that's what I need to do. Read the book of Nehemiah chapter 1. That's how Nehemiah found out God's call on his life. Nehemiah, it says, heard that the walls of Jerusalem had been broken down, the gates were burned with fire and he got word of a real problem in a situation and people struggling and Nehemiah heard about a need and it's out of that, God put his finger on Nehemiah's heart and said, that's what you need to do. And it's from that point, Nehemiah hearing about a need sensed what God was calling him to do with his life. And this morning, let me say this, not always, but sometimes I would say this, pay attention Just pay attention because sometimes the Lord will bring things to your attention because that's what he wants you to go attend to. Do you understand what I'm saying? Pay attention. Well, I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know what God's will is. I'm trying to follow. Just listen. Pay attention. Just look. A lot of times God will bring something to your attention And let you hear about it or see something or become aware of something because that's the very thing he wants you to attend to. Well, look how Paul goes on, verse 28. He says, therefore, when I've performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, he says, then again, he says, I'm going to go by way of you to Spain. Now, verse 28, Paul, again, just really, he's restating what he already said in the prior verses. He's summarizing and restating again what his Plan is, and even the exact order and timing of that plan. And I want to say this before we move on in relation to that. Please take note. Please take note, Paul made plans. He made plans. And he even pursued a plan. The language and statements from verse 22 through verse 28 clearly reveal and indicate that reality. Paul did make plans. He planned things. And I want to say this, my personal conviction, you're always free to disagree. I don't think it's unspiritual or a lack of faith to make a plan, to develop a plan and to to pursue a plan, whether it's for your life or whether it's for ministry or whatever it may be. In fact, if you read the book of Proverbs, I get the picture. That's a pretty wise thing to do. And that it's stewardship. I think a lot of times as Christians, we, you know, we super spiritualize things. You know, I'm just, I'm waiting on the Lord. 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 Well, is, so basically what you're telling me is that it's what God just do just to wait your whole life? And look, don't take out of balance what I'm saying, but there's nothing unspiritual. And let me say this. I found, because a couple times I've had a flat tire or helped people with a flat tire, it's much easier to push or excuse me, much easier to steer a moving vehicle you ever notice that if the vehicle's moving a little bit it's easier to turn the wheel and sometimes I'm not saying that we should not wait on the Lord but there's nothing unspiritual after praying and getting counsel and to, to, to make a plan to develop a plan or to pursue a plan the key is just simply this you just make your plan in pencil and you give God the eraser and you say, Lord, this is what I sense, this is what I believe, with what wisdom I have and understanding I have. And you allow the Lord to revise as needed, whenever needed, and however much and how often he needs to do such. And sometimes we may make a plan, and maybe God just needs to make a minor adjustment, a minor revision, just a few degrees. Sometimes we may make a plan, and the Lord may reroute how we're going to get to the same place, but maybe he says, look, the destination's correct, but the course is not the way that I intend for it to happen. And sometimes God may get us to the same destination, but maybe he's going to revise it and take us on a different path to get to that same destination. And sometimes, and it's why we need to be humbled and yielded, sometimes it may be an entire course correction. And you may make a plan and build the whole ship and get on board, and God may say, no, we're going to shipwreck that thing Because that is not where I want you to go. And if he wants to do that, we're thankful that he loves us enough to intervene and to change the destination altogether. But there's nothing wrong with planning. Paul planned, it's wise to plan. We just need to give God the opportunity to revise as needed in our lives. Paul says, verse 29, but I know that when I do come to you, he says quite confidently, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. I love how Paul had a mindset. Do you hear it there of faith that he really believed that when he came to them, the Lord was going to bless He really believed that when he came, he would come in the blessing of the gospel. I love Paul's example here that that he believed the Lord was going to honor the gospel and honor his word. And that when he stepped out to do things for the Lord, Paul had a spirit of faith and expectancy. I believe the Lord's going to work. I believe when I come, he's going to bless. I think that's a great example whenever we step into the Lord's work that we believe that God wants to honor his word that God will bless the things that we step in to do and have a spirit of faith in relation to that. Look what Paul says, verse 30, then, regarding prayer. He says, now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to those saints, and that I may then come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. So Paul at this point now starts to what? Earnestly plead for their ministry of prayer on his behalf. Notice, read the Bible. You never see and you never find Paul the Apostle begging for money in relation to his ministry. But I find it interesting he's begging for prayer. He's begging for prayer. That's a strong term, beg. I beg you. I'm begging you, please. All I'm asking, all I'm begging for is prayer. And that here Paul understood the deepest need and greatest contribution anybody can make is to support in prayer. Because when the power of God becomes involved and God responds, that has much more value much more lasting effect. He, in this desperate manner, he's pleading, I beg you, praise. So it's through the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Spirit. Again, maybe in essence, we come to God through Jesus Christ by the Spirit's ministry, but maybe Paul's saying through the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Spirit because what he's trying to convey is say, look, in the same way, that's Christ-like. Jesus earnestly prayed. And, 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 and for, for Jesus' sake, And for the love of God that the Spirit puts in your heart, would you please partner with me in prayer? And notice how he's asking them to pray with passion. He says there in verse 30 that you strive in prayer for me. That word strive literally means to wrestle and agonize. It's a term that refers to exerting intensity and efforts to overcome any opposition. I appreciate that. Because when it comes to prayer, again, let's be a little more Realistic than we are super spiritual, prayers a labor sometimes. An intercessory prayer sometimes means going to work and going to battle, just like a wrestler who goes in the ring. He, you know, he's look. I need to exert effort. I need to be intense in my endeavor and my discipline and my commitment. And he's saying, look, pray with purpose. Endeavor to pray with intensity. Agonize. Wrestle in prayer. Paul says, and pray together with me. He says, I'm praying. I'm just asking you to stand with me in prayer. Stand with me as we agree together in Jesus' name. But he's also saying here, pray for me. Take notice of that. He's saying, I'm asking you to pray for me. And three things he specifically asked them to pray for. Protection and preservation from Danger and harm he says there in verse 31 there were always people trying to harm Paul he says pray I may be delivered from those who don't believe there were always people trying to come against Paul and oppose his ministry and so Paul says pray that the hindrances and people who are trying to disrupt my effectiveness that those hindrances and traps be removed so I'm not ensnared he prayed that his ministry there in Jerusalem verse 31 would be effective and that the heart of the people there would be receptive and open To what he was doing. Paul wanted them to be open and receptive, that his ministry would be fruitful among them. And he also asked there in verse 32 that God would open the way in the will of God for an opportunity for him to pursue what was on his heart, that he might come there to the people in Rome. Paul had a desire, but he knew the Lord needed to open a door to let that desire come to pass so that he ultimately could arrive there in Rome. Hey, that's a great way to pray for anybody in ministry. Can I just say quickly, I'm begging you, please pray for me. Pray for our our, our leadership in this church. Pray for pastors and leadership. Listen, it's critical. It's fundamental. It's something that makes a huge world of difference. And here's what's interesting. Paul ultimately does arrive in Rome. But here's the thing I want you to understand. He does arrive in Rome like he planned to. But it didn't happen the way that Paul planned that he was going to get there. Paul ends up getting to Rome, but it happened much differently than he expected. Paul was arrested in a riot for preaching the gospel, and he was sent to Rome on a prison ship. So did Paul's plans fulfill to God's purposes? Yes. But the process included a lot of pain, a lot of problems, some difficulties. Paul was beaten. Arrested, A horrible storm happened. We read of in Acts chapter 27. And then Paul was shipwrecked. And then he was bitten by a serpent. And all of these things were within the sphere of God's will coming to pass and still fulfilling his purposes. Why do I say that this morning? Because oftentimes I think that we tend to believe that if we're following God's will and we're on target and in step with the spirit, everything should always be easy. I'm following God's will, man. I'm on target with where God's leading, but that's not necessarily true. The truth of the matter is, you may be following God's will and there may be a whole lot of twists and turns and slip and slides and setbacks and problems and even maybe a shipwreck and a snake bite, all of which is very unpleasant, all of which is very difficult and I don't understand all the reasons why for the pain and the problems and the setbacks and the difficulties. But I know this. The one good news is this, is that as we make our plans and we pursue God's will, the wonderful thing is that we don't walk it out alone. Because look what Paul says in verse 33. He says, now may the God of peace be with you all. And it may be painful and it may be difficult and it may be hard at times. But there's a God who can give peace in the midst of that to help us, to calm the storm in our heart and to calm the circumstances. And you know what? If nothing more than knowing the presence of God is with us, that makes it worth it to keep stepping forward and pursuing God's ultimate best. Amen?